comes from the book of John, uh, chapter 15, starting at verse 18, and continuing through uh, chapter 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you as also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have sinned. And yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Hi, everyone. It's lovely to be with you tonight. Uh, Make sure you've got the passage open. We'll be digging into that. And also there's an outline there. Um, that you might want to follow as well and maybe take a few notes if you'll find that helpful. Uh, They say in business, uh, you need to manage expectations, right? Uh, Under promise, over deliver. Don't promise too much so when they get the result and it's better than what they thought, they'll be happy. Good expectation management. Who's heard of or been to the big banana? Anyone? Yeah, a few people. Uh, It's in Coffs Harbour on the north coast of New South Wales. Australia has lots of big things, uh, like the big pineapple. Uh, That's on the uh, Sunshine Coast. Uh, Has the big merino, which is a big sheep. It's the front view. Then the next one is the back view. Then you've got the night view. That's pretty freaky. Uh, The next one. What do you think this big thing is? The big potato, Robertson, New South Wales. Australians, we should be proud. (laughs) Lots of big things. Now back to the big banana. I reckon the big banana, this is a a good example of bad expectation management. You see, I don't reckon it's just that big. Have a look at it. It's not that big. I mean, it's bigger than a normal banana, but it's not like the big merino, is it? I remember visiting the big banana and thinking... Oh, that's it. That's the big banana. 
The other day, uh, my youngest was walking home from school and she said, Mummy, something happened today at school that you won't like. And Mum said, well, what's that? And she said, I don't want to tell you right now. I'll tell you when we get home. That's good expectation management. Just make sure you butter up Mum for a soft landing. Last night I was explaining, she was in the service this morning, and I was explaining to her, can I tell this story in front of everyone? And she said, yes. And then she turned to me and said, actually, actually no. And I was like, oh, okay. She said, can you show a video of me instead? <laughs> I thought she was all being kind of shy and retiring. Expectation management. That's what Jesus really is doing in these chapters. See, it's biblical. Uh, here and over the last few weeks, Jesus is uh, preparing his disciples uh, for what will happen uh, when he's gone. Uh, he started by saying, I'm leaving, but don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven and I'll be back and I won't leave you alone. I won't leave you as orphans. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week he said, when I go, like branches in a vine, you need to remain in me, bear fruit, Love me by obeying my commands and, and love each other. That's what you need to do. Love, that was last week. Have a look at your passage. What word stands out to you as you look at it? So look down, have a look. What word comes up a lot? Anyone want to kind of guess? Hate, yeah. It's a big contrast, isn't it? Love last week, I think I counted nine times. This week, hate, it comes up about seven times. Love in the church, right? In the church community, hate in the world. It's a very confronting passage, I think. But it's essential. You see, Jesus here has a very clear and a very important pastoral purpose in mind and you can see it in uh, verse 1 of chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. That's his purpose. And that's pretty important, isn't it? Uh, notice what he's not doing. He's not telling them these things because he's kind of worried that they'll be unpopular. He's not warning them so they can work out how to actually avoid the rejection and suffering that he's talking about. Actually, he's doing the opposite. He's sending them right into the firing line. Now, his purpose is much more important than either of those is to keep his disciples from falling away. Because out of all the possible things that could happen in the future, and there are some really scary things that could happen, that's the only thing that has eternal consequences. And just so like a side note, if that's the most important thing, that we not fall away, that really should shape my priorities, shouldn't it? Whatever the things uh, are that help me not fall away, I should do those. Uh, skyscrapers are built with flex. I think this is a picture of a one in Chicago. It can actually sway up to three feet. I imagine that's a bit freaky, right, when you're on the top floor. But they're built like that, so when the wind comes, they don't break or topple over. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's building us with flex so that when the pressure comes, we won't topple over, we won't fall away. Well, what does Jesus mean exactly 
uh, when he says the world will hate you. Well, he doesn't mean a tree will hate you. He doesn't mean uh, that cute little puppy over there will hate you. He doesn't mean that. He means people. Uh, People that don't like Jesus. They like the fact that he is king and he's calling us to do what he says. So when Jesus talks about the world here, like uh, often happens in John's Gospel, he means humanity set against God. By the way, that's the same world in John 3.16 that God loves so much he sent his son to die for it. Jesus loved, Jesus died for that world. That's grace. Hate. What a, what a, it's so confronting. Who wants to be hated here? I don't want to be hated. I want to be loved, admired, thought well of. I want to be treated nicely. And hate is such a brutal and nasty word. Could, could Jesus just be exaggerating just a little bit? Well, look what happened to Jesus. He was mocked, whipped, Beaten. He had nails driven through his hands and his feet. These apostles who are listening to these words are all killed because they spoke about Jesus. Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he was stoned to death for speaking about Jesus. It's estimated that around uh, 270 Christians around the world are killed each day because they trust in Jesus. That's about 14 brothers and sisters killed just while we're meeting tonight. Hate? Is that an exaggeration? No. It's pretty accurate. For some Christians, this hate, this hostility will result in severe persecution. Now, persecution isn't just any pressure. It's not just suffering in general. It's not, oh, I stubbed my toe, the door is persecuting me. No pressure, it's pressure, uh, uh, persecution is pressure or suffering specifically for being a Christian, for speaking about Christ and because you are living for him. That's persecution. And for others, uh, the hostility and persecution won't be this extreme as it was for the apostles. It might mean rejection, losing friends, being kicked out of the family. Uh, Once I was in a Persian congregation and we had uh, two women uh, from a Muslim background who were baptised and as soon as they were, they were kicked out of the family. They felt these words. Uh, Persecution may mean being overlooked for a job or a promotion, maybe being teased or, or picked on, or maybe just getting that look, oh, you're a... Christian, you believe that? Maybe you've experienced some of those things before. Jesus here isn't saying every person that you meet will be hostile. He's not saying that Christians will be persecuted all the time. Uh, Many people will have great parents, great friends, great colleagues who aren't Christians, who don't share your faith, but will be respectful of us and our faith. And hostility will vary in different times and places. In Australia, we're very blessed. We're very blessed that we can meet freely, we can worship and we can share Jesus. Uh, Many of us who grow up and live in Australia may never really experience much hostility or persecution at all here. 
But if you live in North Korea or Afghanistan, other places, different story. And not all hostility is persecution, right? Sometimes people have good reasons for being hostile towards Christians. Like when we're harsh or judgmental. Like when we use our power to hurt vulnerable people. Anger and hostility uh, that comes from being cruel isn't persecution. It's behaviour we should repent of and be accountable for. But Jesus is saying, even when you are loving other people, even when you're speaking in gentle and gracious ways, the world won't like you because of who you worship and who you're speaking about. And that doesn't make you a freak. It's normal. And Jesus says this hostility will come from the secular world but also the religious world. Have a look at verse 2 of chapter 16. They will put you out of the synagogue, kind of like the Jewish equivalent of a church. And in fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Earlier in John's Gospel, there was a man who was born blind and he was healed by Jesus and he was brought before the authorities, the Jewish leaders, and they kicked him out of the synagogue because he said Jesus did it. They didn't like that. Later, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Did they praise God? No. The chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing him. So now we're going to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus. The Apostle Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. Have a guess what he was going to do when Jesus visited him. He was going to kill Christians. And like the Pharisees, like the Jewish leaders we just heard about, he thought he was doing God a favour. Throughout history it's been normal for Christians to be persecuted by the state, by the world, but also, sadly, by some who call themselves God's people. That's what the apostles are facing. Thomas Cramner, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the clergyman who wrote the Anglican prayer book, they preached a sermon at his execution in 1556. In North America, Bible-believing Anglicans have been sued and kicked out of their churches by their bishops because they stood up for biblical truth. It's awful. When church leaders persecute believers for being faithful to Jesus, they're showing they're actually no different from the world. In fact, they're part of it. That's what the apostles are facing. So be ready, says Jesus. It's going to be tough out there. Be prepared. Well, why is the world hostile towards Christians? Uh, In verse 18, Jesus tells us, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. There's kind of a weird comfort here. You will be hated, 
but really it's nothing personal. Jesus says, it's not you, it really is me. Verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name. At one level, it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, He quotes the scripture Jesus does, they hated me without reason. You see, Jesus wasn't cruel or, or harsh. He always showed mercy. He always included people who are around the edges. He always stood up for the weak. He lived a perfectly loving and compassionate life. So why did they hate him? Well, people hated him, John says, in chapter 3, verse 19, because they loved darkness. Jesus was the light and his words and his works revealed their true nature and the darkness that lived within Chapter 7, verse 7. The world, he says, hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Nobody likes to hear that, do they? Your works are evil. Jesus exposes our hypocrisy, our greed, our anger. He exposes all our hidden prejudices, the way we use and abuse power, the way we trample others, especially the vulnerable. He reveals our deep need for forgiveness and grace and our need to repent and change. When I was a ministry trainee, I took a year 11 scripture class. That's in New South Wales where they taught the Bible to state school students. One of the students was sitting there and he believed it all. He said, yep, Jesus, he is who we say he is. He died, he rose again but I don't want to be a Christian. That I don't, I don't want to be a Christian because I can see if I do that, I've got to change my life and I don't want to. I think the kid was 16. He had a great depth of insight and an unusual level of honesty because that's often why people reject Jesus. It's not because they don't believe it or 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 they think it's silly, it's because accepting Jesus means accepting a whole bunch of other things, that I'm not as good as I think I am. It means I'm not accepting, I'm not the one in charge of my life. It means change. That's why the world is hostile to Jesus. He calls it to account and says, I'm in charge. And those who belong to him, who speak about this, the world will treat them the same way. Verse 22, they will treat you this way because of my name. See, in the end, it doesn't matter how much we kind of work on our image as Christians, how much we try and polish up the brand. It doesn't matter how many good works we do. You see, people have been hostile to Christianity for all sorts of reasons not just for our views on gender or sexuality that's kind of really in the spotlight now. Christians have been hated for rescuing abandoned babies. Christians have been hated uh, for feeding the poor, for fighting to abolish slavery, for speaking against gambling, for standing up and protecting Aboriginal peoples. 
And the reason our culture accepts those things now as social justice is because Christ has so impacted our culture. But Christians have been hated for all those things. And so it doesn't matter how many good works we do, how gentle or or winsome we are, faithful Christians who speak about Christ will be rejected by the world. Not all the time, not in every place or space because Jesus says a servant is not greater than his master. Uh, You might have heard uh, this before. Uh, Some churches teach what's often called the prosperity gospel, that if you come to Jesus, you will be protected. You'll be guaranteed wealth, health and success. It's a pretty good deal, right? Well, according to Jesus here, that's just not true. Just not true. But this prosperity teaching is not only untrue, it's actually dangerous. I've met a number of people who have been incredibly burnt by churches who teach that. You see, when the suffering came, they just weren't ready. There was no flex. Suffering made them doubt their faith, God's goodness and his existence and some even fell away. Jesus says here the opposite to that. Be prepared. Get your expectations right. You see, there are two crosses for the Christian. The one that Jesus carried and the one that he calls us to carry. The pathway of the Messiah is a pathway of his people. That's the deal if you follow Jesus. If you're new to Christianity... Welcome. It's good for you to know what you're getting yourself into, I think. Earlier I said that sometimes hostility will come from religious people who think they're doing God a favour. But the fact is their hostility doesn't just show they hate Jesus, it shows that they never really knew or loved God either. Verse 21, They treat you like this, for they do not know the one who sent me. Verse 23, whoever hates me, hates my father as well. And in its hatred of him, Jesus says, their most central, their most controlling sin is exposed. Rejection of God. You see, Jesus came with the very words, the very works of God, the Father. Jesus is the clearest light, the the fullest revelation of God. He's God standing right in front of them. And what do they do? They hate him. They rejected him. And so rejection of Jesus is rejection of God. And that rejection therefore incurs the the deepest guilt and it leaves people without excuse. Well, in verses 26 and 27, uh, Jesus again mentions the coming of the Holy Spirit that we've been hearing about over the last few weeks. The Advocate, the the Spirit of Truth. I notice that these verses are wedged right between uh, two sections about suffering and persecution. Perhaps here they're meant as a comfort. It will be hard, but don't worry, the Spirit will come and 
He will protect you. Well, not quite, Jesus says. Actually, it's the opposite. The Spirit's presence means persecution is inevitable. Because notice first what the Spirit won't do. He's not making life easy. He's not shielding us from rejection or persecution. He won't make everyone love you. What will he do? Well, it's there in verse 26. He will testify about Jesus. And filled with the Spirit, what must the disciples do? Verse 27, and you also must testify. You must testify about Jesus. The Spirit will do in us the very thing that provokes hostility. He will send them right into the furnace. And that's what happens for all these apostles. Now, friends, these words are directly addressed to the apostles. Therefore, then, the people in front of Jesus. They were the first witnesses to Christ, to his death, his resurrection, and they spoke about it and they were rejected and they were killed. But these words also have implications for us because the Spirit, Spirit's work continues in the world and in the church now. It is the role of our church and the church in every age to testify to Jesus with everything that brings. Well, if we just had these words of Jesus, we might think, gee, it looks pretty bleak. You really need a new PR consultant, Jesus. Well, as Christians, we get all the suffering the world gets. Broken relationships, sickness, depression, anxiety, we get all of that as part of being in a broken world. But on top of that, we get special suffering that comes from following Christ. But that's not all there is to it. We have these words of Jesus, but we have the whole of the scriptures. God also gives us all the happiness and all the good things the world gets as well. Uh, music and food and relationships, sunsets. Uh, Jesus says uh, the rain comes from God and it rains on everyone. Christians, people who aren't Christians, he says that. But with all of that, we actually also get the best things of all. We get forgiveness, meaning and purpose. We get hope, relationship with God and each other and eternal life. We may not be loved, but Jesus says it's worth it. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Well, let me share some practical reflections to finish. Uh, First, knowing that if we stand with Jesus, we may face the world's hostility, how should we respond to it when it comes? How should we respond? Well, one response, one possible response, and this is a very human thing to do, is to kind of try and avoid it, to fly under the radar. Just keep quiet, 
Focus on blending in with those around us. And it would work, Jesus says, because the world loves its own. Take on their values and aspirations. See, if we're quiet and if we never say anything about Jesus, we'll be tolerated. If we say, God loves you and it doesn't matter how you live, we'll be loved. And if we just focus on doing those things that other people can agree with, you know, charity work, work for social change, they're all actually good things, but if we just focus on those and stop short of talking about Jesus, just avoid rocking the boat, then we'll be respected. But if we tell the truth that Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, anger, hostility. And so you could save yourself a lot of pain. But then you'll miss out on seeing the power of God at work in the world. You'll miss out on the joy of being faithful to your Heavenly Father and you'll miss out on the praise of God. This is what one preacher, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, that very church which the world likes best is sure to be that which God abhors. See, this blending in, this staying quiet, Jesus says, it's, it's, it's not an option. He says, he says, keep witnessing. Love others, live faithfully, testify to him. And that's the only option. Keep witnessing. Another response is to hit back, right? Hit back, to really kind of lean into the fight. You could do it in person or social media. Respond in kind. You're going to be hateful to me? I'll respond like that. Make the other person look silly. Have you ever been tempted to do that? I know I have. Is that an option? No, it's not an option. It's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way that he responded. What did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. That's what he said. And he calls us to do the same. He loved his enemies. He died for them. He said to respond to hate with love, to bless those who curse you. So countercultural and so loving. And it's tempting to hit back when we feel unfairly attacked or misrepresented. But even when that happens, Jesus says, keep loving, keep witnessing and keep loving. Respond with grace, gentleness and mercy. Always, no exceptions. There's no hall pass. And remember, we need to keep focusing on the main thing, Jesus. We don't need to win every argument at uni We don't need to win every debate in public or every kind of bit of legislation in Parliament. I think sometimes the battles Christians choose are more about winning and holding on to social power and influence rather than witnessing to Jesus. It's okay to lose. Jesus is still Lord 
and remember that it's possible to win the argument but lose people. Keep witnessing, keep loving. Another option is withdrawal. Sort of bring up the drawbridge, wall off and stay in the Christian community. Avoid the hostility altogether. How about that? Well, unsurprisingly, no. Jesus says, keep witnessing, keep loving and keep engaged. Keep engaged. Go into the world. Don't stay out of it. Let your light shine before others in our families, our universities, our workplaces, our communities, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And you can't do that when you're walled in. Keep witnessing, keep loving, keep engaged. And even if we're hated and persecuted, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. There is no greater honour than the opportunity to represent Christ. There is no greater privilege than getting to share his life-giving words. Who knows what seed will be sown even in people that are hostile to us, what God will do with them in the future. Who knows how God might shape us through what we're enduring. And even if we are persecuted, it is our blessing and our privilege to suffer for Christ. Keep witnessing, keep loving, keep engaged. It's an honour to suffer for Christ. And as we respond, Jesus promises help. He promises help. He promises, first, he won't leave us alone. He promises to send the whole Spirit as part of the whole witnessing package. We'll hear more about that next week. Second, he gives us each other. At church, in our small groups, in our relationships. Hostility outside, love inside. You see, church community is meant to be like, uh, like this steel brazier full of hot coals. If you keep the coals together, they stay hot for ages. But if you kind of pluck one out and put it by itself, what happens? It gets cold, doesn't it? Pretty quickly. You see, we need each other like this kind of brazier of coals. Jesus gives us each other to love, encourage and and pray for each other, especially when it's tough in the world. He's given us one another so we won't grow cold and fall away, so that none would be lost on the road to heaven. That's your job. It's our job to keep each other on the road to heaven. And so keep connected. Keep coming to church even when it's hard. Keep faithful to your small group. Keep your relationships going even when it's tricky. Not just for yourself, but for each other.
Because when we stay away, we don't just miss out. We miss out on the chance to serve others. We miss out on the chance to keep others on the road to heaven. Jesus gives us his spirit, he gives us his church for help and he gives us his word here today. Get your expectations right. Be prepared. Don't expect to be loved. And in the end, it doesn't matter what they think or say. In the end, it only matters what one person says. Well done, good and faithful servants. Shall we commit some of these things to prayer? Loving Father God, we thank you for the wonderful hope that we have in the Gospel, for your great love for us and the world. We hear Jesus' words today that sometimes it's hard. Help us understand. Help us get our expectations right. Help us to respond with love. Help us to keep witnessing. Help us help each other. Amen.